Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Good evening, everybody. This is Richard Gearhart, founder of Gearhart Law, a full-service intellectual property law firm. And you're listening to Passage to Profit, the show all about small businesses, entrepreneurs, and the intellectual property that makes them flourish. Tonight, we have a very special guest, Larry Namer, founder of E-Entertainment Network. I'm Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm not an attorney, but I work at Gearhart Law. Gearhart Law does copyrights. And I do the marketing for the firm, but I want to quickly go over who we have as presenters right now, because everybody that's presenting has come up with a solution to a real problem. And I think it's pretty cool. So our first one is going to be Karen Tenenbaum Esquire, and she has solution to helping your kids not borrow money from you. How about we put it that way? And then that sounds great already. And then for our second presenter, Karen Ann Jacks, I just have to ask the question, listeners, is your hair two different colors, but you don't really want it to be? (laughs) Karen has the solution for you. And then Uh, she's gonna get to the root of the problem. (laughs) And then we have Todd Barrett. And so, ladies, especially, do you have hair growing in places? Showing where it really shouldn't. <laughs> Men do. So Todd has a solution for that. So from wanted hair to unwanted hair, yes, I guess exactly. is the theme of the story. Before we get to Larry, who I know you're all waiting to hear from, we're going to talk a little bit about intellectual property because it is so important to entrepreneurs. Right. So our first presentation today is about a human-powered flight suit. So they've actually made real human-powered flight suits, but this patent was filed a while ago. And for our listeners who aren't looking at a screen right now, you'll be able to see that the picture of the patent, it's a guy wearing something that looks like a bat suit. Yeah, it's on our social media. So he modeled it after a bat. I mean, it looks really cool and it looks like it would be fun to do, but it looks like it'd be really hard to control. (laughs) So this is called a completely dynamic human powered flying suit. And it looks like a bat with all sorts of contraptions and levers on it. And the guy chose the bat configuration because he says bats are the only flying animals most closely related to human beings and that they are both mammals. So this was his rationale for filing the patent. But there's more to using this flying bat suit than just strapping it on because the patent drafter says there are four criteria that you need to use before you use the bat fits. First, you have to be physically fit because you're moving your arms back and forth as this thing flies through the air. Secondly, you need a knowledge of air currents and aerodynamics, which I guess just about everybody has, <laughs> right? And third, the pilot must realize the limits of his or her physical performance, which I guess means that if you're two miles over the earth and you suddenly get tired, you have a big problem. And finally, the pilot must be able to inspect the aircraft. So there's a lot of technical skills that go along with this invention. Right. It's interesting that he did get a patent on it. I think he really wanted it for himself, but I don't think I've ever seen this sold anywhere. But it just goes to show if you have something really unique and novel that you love, get a patent on it and nobody can copy it without your permission. (laughs) But speaking of copying things without your permission, if I see something online and I do a screenshot of my computer and I make t-shirts out of it and start selling them. Is that okay? No, of course not. <laughs> That's probably not. a copy. You should know better than that. <laughs> I'm not an attorney. So she's, so she's trying to allude to this article we recently found by Roger Solenberger in Wired Magazine. And this is kind of an interesting new phenomenon that I hadn't been exposed to before, even as a copyright lawyer. Apparently now there's a lot of websites where you can 
create on demand your own custom t-shirt or coffee mug or whatever. And so what people are doing is they're taking famous brands and they're uploading the logos and the content onto these websites. And then they're creating t-shirts and, you know, tchotchkes and what have you, which is an obvious copyright violation. And so some of the counterfeiters are selling these materials now on Facebook, Etsy, a lot of different websites, and other people are just doing it for their own personal use, which of course is a copyright violation, right? And so there's so many of these sites and there's so many of these on-demand printing things that it's very difficult to police. It's very difficult for the brands to police what they're doing. Well, the, the problem is that you can't go after the sites that are selling them. So something has to be done in Congress so that the sites that are selling these have to check for copyright. Amazon is now checking for trademark violations. And it's not so much an Amazon issue, but it's, for example, like Harley Davidson is one of the most violated brands out there. And so people will take a picture of a Harley logo and they'll put it on their cup. They'll wear, create a t-shirt for it. And it's creating a lot of challenges for brands and how they police and monitor those things. Somebody, for example, in Canada can order something from a U.S. maker and have it sent to Vietnam, right? Right. So, so this is sort of like Napster all over again. And for those of you who don't remember Napster, that was where music was being illegally shared. And so there's going to have to be a solution to this. There will be a solution. So that's the thing. If you're doing this, don't do it. Because <laughs> there will be a solution because it's not fair either to steal somebody else's intellectual property. So that's right. So we will be right back with Larry Namer. And you really want to hear this because this is going to be fabulous. And you are listening to WOR 710, the voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at gearheartlaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearheart. And our very special guest, Larry Namer. Enam, if you don't know what that means, it means phenomenal. He's had really an incredible career. He is the founder of E-Entertainment TV and several other TV networks. And he's been a pioneer in the media for the past 45 years and is currently the president of Metan Global, an entertainment and technology company involved in all aspects of media connecting brands in Beijing, Shanghai, and the U.S. Metan has established its position in China as a premier media company, developing content across all networks, including television, online, film, and mobile. And on top of that, correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, but you are also on the board of the Einstein Foundation. Yeah, I'm on the advisory board of the Einstein Foundation. So what do you tell the Einstein Foundation? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's actually funny, you know, because I grew up in Brooklyn and, you know, from a, a kind of a lower middle class family. And for whatever reason, I would have crazy ideas every day and I would tell them to my family. 
And um, my mother would typically smack me in the back of the head and go, shut up, you know, Einstein. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, if she were alive today, she'd probably get a big kick out of the fact that I, you know, I went on the advisory board of the foundation. Yeah. That's really incredible. Tell us about E-Entertainment Network. Well, I want to hear where he started. So as soon as you graduated from college, you got a job doing what? I graduated. I was the first one in the family to graduate from college at all. And um, my degree was in economics. And after you graduate, I couldn't figure out what you do with an economics degree. So I figured I would take kind of a mindless job and... Um, you know, give me a little bit of time to figure out what it is I'm going to do. I got a job as an assistant underground splicer in Manhattan, in New York. And my job was every day I would go down below the streets of Manhattan with the roaches and the rats and do all of that and put wires together. You know, it was the very beginning of the cable TV days and nobody quite understood what it is we were doing. And, you know, at that point, New York had... Uh, very few shows, ABC, NBC, CBS, and then there were a few independents. There weren't a lot of TV stations there. So it was the very, very early days. And I, I was very fortunate in that Time Inc., which was a magazine and publishing company, I bought the company. You know, they really started to put money in and they believed in cable TV uh, at a time when nobody else did. I mean, all my friends would say, like, why don't you get a real job? Nobody's ever going to pay for television. Um, <laughs> And I, uh, I, I was one of those people, by the way, I was like, you want me to pay for television? It's free now. Why would I do that? Now I've got, you know, 2000 channels. So. And so I, I, was, I was very fortunate to be there because it was a great time. So I kind of rose through the ranks of the technical. So I, I didn't I didn't have any technical background. Again, you know, I was, you know, a liberal arts grad, but I knew how to read so I could read the instruction manuals and do all of that stuff. So I then became the splicer and then I became a installer and a serviceman. And I kind of went up that ladder really, really quickly. And then they wanted me to move into management, which at first I resisted, but then they finally convinced me. And so they put me in charge. I ended up being the director of operations there. So I was all 25 years old and I had 300 and some odd people, all of which were older than me reporting to me, which was an interesting dynamic. But then I finally, when timing really started blowing it out and buying cable systems around the country. We started HBO and Cinemax and really we were the ones who revolutionized urban cable. You know, this wasn't something you did out in farmland so people could get good reception, but rather a way to do not just television, but lots of other stuff like, you know, precursor to the internet kind of stuff. So I ended up becoming the head of corporate development there. And, you know, we're going back to, you know, late 1970s. And my assignment was to figure out how people will interact with technology in the year 2000, which, you know, was 20 years in advance. And you kind of knew that nothing you said was going to be right anyway. And, you know, you, you couldn't predict things like the Internet. And, you know, those were unthinkable, you know, back then. And um, so I, I was able to participate in a lot of stuff really young. And then um, when the big cities decided they wanted to have cable TV come into their cities, most of them didn't want the cables to go on telephone poles because they were unsightly. They wanted everything to go underground. So they needed someone who knew how to build underground cable systems. And wow. there was only one built in the country. And, you know, here I was. And so I ended up getting recruited by the people who won the franchise for Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I'm a, you know, still a New Yorker by heart. And, um, you know, they... 
were trying to convince me to go out there and I really wasn't interested in going to La La Land. And finally, they just literally offered me four times what I was making in New York. And besides all the money, we'll rent Liberace's house for you, which was on Entertainment Tonight every day. I will give you a car, I'll give you a phone, and but you got to come out here because they really had no choice. They promised the city they would build underground and they needed someone who knew how to do it. Let me ask you about entertainment tonight. Before the show, we were talking about it. When you started the network, you knew exactly that it was going to be a hit. I came out here and was building the cable system. Everybody I knew and everybody I met out here was going to parties and premieres and movie openings. And I said, this is great. I want to go to those. That's like kind of cool. And um, when I would talk to people at the studios, they go, well, you know, you're not really in the media or entertainment business. You know, you're kind of like the telephone company and they wouldn't invite me. But at that point, I was building the first 61 channel cable system ever built in the U.S. And again, you know, we're going back to 1981 and I had all these empty channels. And, you know, I just said, I want to go to those parties. It's kind of cool. You know, I would talk to the marketing people at the studios and say, listen, you know, the only time I ever see a movie trailer is when I'm in the movies. And it's typically the better part of, a, you know, of the movie itself. I said, don't you think it would be better to show people those things when they're in the home? So maybe they want to go to the movies. And they went, yeah, but it's too expensive. And so I said, give me the movie trailers. I'll put them on a channel for you because I had plenty of empty channels. Then I, had, I actually had a lost pet channel, which if you lost your dog or your cat, you could like post and for your neighbors. Aww. So I put them on and I said, the caveat is you got to invite me to all those things. And they said, yeah, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> and when we did surveys of the audience, you said, what's your favorite channel? They go, oh, CNN. We love ESPN, the sports channel, we, you know, and we love that trailer channel. And I was going, now, wait a second. I get the best two minutes of a $50 million movie for free. And people love it as much as they love the stuff that people are spending, you know, fortunes to produce. So that, you know, that kind of stuck in my head. And then what happened is <clears throat> the company I worked for, which is actually a Canadian, the company that recruited me was a Canadian company. And they sold out and went back to Toronto. And they wanted me to go there. And I said, no, no, no. I didn't go from New York to L.A. to move to Toronto. I said, I'm done with snow. So, you know, I, I didn't go with them. And my friend, Alan Marufka, who's from New Jersey, he was out here. And we were, you know, just saying, let's do something for ourselves and stuff. Let's come up with ideas. And, I, you know, I said, hey, you know, I did this thing and there's something there. Let's look at that. And at that time, you had Entertainment Tonight. and You had, you know, those kind of shows, which are half hours. But the analogy was MTV. There was music here and there, but MTV was more than just music. It was an environment. It was a feeling. It was a lifestyle. It was those. We said, why don't we just do MTV of the movies? You know, if you have um, a host, a BJ, turn to a green screen and go, Madonna has a new video. Uh, and then you play the video. We said, why can't we just have a host go and Arnold Schwarzenegger has a new movie? You make this sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Was it real? I mean, you just have the Midas touch here, or are you glossing over a few of the challenges? That well, I mean, there were a lot of challenges, but. You know, if you go back to that time, there was um, this saying that people used to use was like cable TV is like an electronic newspaper. CNN is the headlines and ESPN is the sports and the Home Shopping Network was the ads. And Alan and I just said the second most read, most enjoyable part of the newspaper is the entertainment pages. 
And that's what's missing. So we just wrote a business plan. You know, we didn't realize that, you know, at that point, uh, to start a TV network was somewhere between 60 and $100 million. And um, yeah, we didn't realize that there was nobody around that was going to give us that kind of money. So even though people were saying it's a good idea, they would also turn to us and say, look, you know, you're not Rupert Murdoch. You're not Ted Turner. You know, nobody wakes up and starts a TV network. It just doesn't happen because really all TV networks were started by big companies. I mean, they weren't started by individuals. Discovery was started by an individual. BET was started by an individual and us. That's it. Three in history. We knew we were on to the right thing. We spent three and a half years looking for money. We we ended up finding a um, an investment banking house on Wall Street where when we went in for the meeting, this is after three and a half years and I was ready to give up. But... Um, you know, the, the young guy, and he had movie posters on his wall. And we were like, huh, this is odd. I wish I already had these posters. Oh, right. I used to be the entertainment reporter for my college newspaper. And we were <laughs> like, okay. And, you know, after the thing, he said, look, he goes, I can't sign for a lot of money, but I can give you two and a half million dollars. And we just said, what are we going to do with two and a half million dollars? It costs 60. And he said, well, I'm only allowed to sign for two and a half. So we... Um, you know, we just said, you know what, we're going to go for it. We know we've got the right thing. And we took the two and a half. I had a friend who was teaching radio, television, film in Austin, Texas, uh, University of Texas. I called him up and said, do you have any kids who need intern jobs? And he said, yeah, I got a whole bunch of them. I said, send them all to L.A. We rent an apartment. We bought mattresses for people to sleep on. And so we actually started the company with 11 employees and 31 interns. We started it for two and a half million dollars and uh, everybody was amazed. And, you know, then they were coming after us and then going, oh, why don't you tell us that's what you wanted to do? We would have given you that money three years ago. <laughs> and, um, you know, we said, yeah, thank you. But, you know, it was an instant success that took three and a half years to get the first dollar in. And once we went on, everybody just, you know. We, we were very smart with limited amount of money. And sometimes having less money is a smarter thing because it forces you to think and rethink things as opposed to doing the tried and true. You know, we just realized that, you know, we, not, we don't have the money to do fancy production. We're not going to be able to buy the best equipment. We said the thing that we're going to be able to do is spend our money really looking for hosts and the hosts are going to be it. And I likened it to my experience as a kid, the Mickey Mouse Club. You know, I used to go home from school every day I didn't know what was on the Mickey Mouse Club, but I knew I liked spending time with those musketeers, especially Annette. And um, we just said, we're going to build the Mickey Mouse Club of, you know, the modern day. And people always say to me, they go, you know, you were very lucky. You had those hosts at the beginning. You had Greg Kinnear and Julie Moran and Richard Blade and Mark DiCarlo and, you know, people, all of which went on to do bigger, Katie Wagner Everybody went on to do bigger and better things after E, but it wasn't luck. To get the first group of hosts, we put 7,100 people on tape. We just said, whatever money we have, we're focusing on the hosts. And it turned out to be true. So it sounds to me like your success was, one, you really knew what you were doing. So you had a lot of experience. Two, you actually had proof of concept because you'd had this previous product that had worked really well for people. And I think the biggest thing though, was that your persistence, like you did not give up. It's a combination of all of those. And um, the proof of concept provided the basis. We knew that trailers by themselves were interesting content and stuff. 
And then we were able to, to really harness the economics because what I would do is I would go to the studios and I would, I would meet with the publicity people, you know, who were more than happy to give us those trailers for free. You know, I'd say to them, I said, look, when you're making the movie, you know, the only time I ever see you advertised is a week before the movie comes out. I said, wouldn't you want to start building the interest in that movie six months out, a year out? And they said, yeah, but we can't afford to do it. I said, well, great. Send the crew, when you're making the movie, send a video crew and do interview the director, the stars, the, the stunt guys. I said, interview everybody. I said, now I will put that on, you know, as long as it's you know done well and interesting, we'll put that on TV. And they were thrilled because their job was to get that kind of stuff on TV and yet they would fight for 10 seconds on Entertainment Tonight. So, you know, we got uh, the studios to give us all this stuff, and they would literally send people, crews out to do programming for us. Wow. But what they didn't know at the beginning was we would put that stuff on, and we would get really good audience because people were amazed that we would do an in-depth study on, you know, the soundtrack for Top Gun or, you know, something like that. But then I would go to the advertising and marketing department of studios and say, hey, look at the audience I'm getting. Look at all these people. They're interested in the movies. This is where you should advertise. And they were going, you know what? You're right. This is great. You got the exact audience. So when you think about it, we were getting them to give us programming for free. And then I was going to the other side of the house and getting them to pay to give me the programming <laughs> for free. Um, and it took them a while before they kind of figured that out, you know, which was good because <laughs> it gave us the start, you know, gave us that runway to, to really get started and stuff. And, you know, and then then we started moving into original programming and we did Talk Soup and Howard Stern and the Hollywood True Stories and stuff. But a lot of it derived out of necessity. We had to do low cost, never seen before kind of programming. You know, it looked almost pirate, and um, that's what people loved about it. That's great, but it was also innovative. Uh, people weren't going behind the scenes and providing uh, viewers with that kind of background, and so people who really love movies and who love the stars that are in movies just eat that up, right? And uh, it was a great insight, absolutely. After we got going a little bit, we applied to uh, get credentials for the Oscars. And we got back this very interesting note going, who are you? What's cable? What do we need you for? No, denied. <laughs> we said, great. So we just went as a crew. And I went as a grip. We climbed over the fence. And <laughs> we threw the camera over the fence. And we had the crew when we were on the carpet interviewing people and doing all kinds of stuff until security figured out we don't belong there and threw us out. But, you know, people looked at it and they said, you know, this is giving us a, a view into this world that we've never seen before. And then the first show that really broke through for us was Talk Soup. And when, you know, we came up with that, people would go to me and they go, Larry, you know, we love you, but you really lost your mind. You want to do a TV show that makes fun of TV shows. And I'm like, exactly. And they're like, <laughs> we really can't do that. I go, why? It's funny. And, you know, we had Greg Kinnear watch clips and, you know, it wasn't uh, terribly well scripted. And, you know, Greg would watch the clips and say stuff, whatever came to mind. And it was revolutionary. People just loved it. And then, you know, we went from there, you know, Alan and I met this guy in New York who's a radio guy and he kept goofy looking and we kept telling us to watch his show, you know, to listen to his show. And, you know, we did and we loved it. And we said, why don't we put cameras in his radio studio? Larry, radio died 40 years ago. What are you talking about? 
about radio. I said, no, there's this guy, Howard Stern. You really got to see it. It's an ensemble cast. It's WKRP in Cincinnati, real life. And we did it. You know, that show was, you know, again, groundbreaking. Talk Soup went 25 years, by the way. So, Larry, we have to take a commercial break. Thanks so much. Great story. Yeah, telling us all these great stories. I have a thousand more questions, but... I know, we could go on all day. We could go on all day, but we'll be back after this message. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt and our special guest, Larry Namer, founder of E-Entertainment Network. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney. Spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guest this evening, Larry Namer, founder of E Entertainment Network. And if you missed his story, the podcast comes out tomorrow. You got to hear this. It's pretty amazing. So now, Elizabeth, tell us about Fireside. So, for those of you who haven't heard me describe this before, Fireside is the first ever video directory of small businesses. So, what I do is interview small business owners and put them on a video directory. It's a YouTube channel and a website site both. And since I've started doing this more have cropped up and maybe there were a couple very focused ones before, but I'm trying to be the Wikipedia of small business on video. So I really want this to be far reaching. And right now I'm doing most of the interviews myself, which is a lot of work and all the back end too, but I'm getting help. And I really see, you know, good to hear that Larry had to wait three and a half years for his money. (laughs) 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 But what's really cool about doing, I am just loving doing this. What's really cool is I'm meeting people and finding out about things just like on passage to profit that I never even knew existed before that are really useful for people. So I'm so happy to be able to spread the word and help these people get the word out with videos. And a lot of people don't have a place to put their videos or don't have good videos that they like. And so I try to make it all about them. And I try to make it in a way that they really like it. And people do seem to really like it because they get to really go deep into what their business is. And I'm just there to support them. So they have another face to talk to. And I'm not trying to take over. So it's a great idea. You know, networking is so important, especially for small businesses. Well, for everybody. And this allows people who want to get out more to get more exposure And people who are shopping maybe for a life coach or something, they can look at all the different life coaches and they can see the one that they connect with on video and call them first instead of calling three or four people. So it's really a a time saver and it allows entrepreneurs to be all over the place all at once. And we are also using it to screen people for passage to profit. So if people come to me, I say, well, why don't you do a video with me? And then I can show it to our team and we can put you on passage to profit if they think that your product or business fits. Yeah. 
Congratulations. So who's up for our um, first presenter? So how many of you have kids that money just flows like water through their fingers? <laughs> <laughs> we have somebody who's going to help you with that little problem. So Karen Tenenbaum, Esquire, founder of Tenenbaum Law, tax attorney. It has Walter the Vault for teaching kids about money. And who better than a tax attorney to teach kids about money? Hi, Karen. Hi. So it all started when my children, who are now grown and have their own children, uh, were young. We went into a shoe store and my daughter, Allison, asked for a, a quarter and I gave her a real quarter and uh, she put it in one of these vending machines and out popped a plastic egg with a fake quarter. And uh, she was so excited. She was five or six years old. And I thought, oh my God, you know, I handle IRS and New York state tax problems on a regular basis, people who are in interesting financial situations. And how do you teach children about money, the value of money, how to save money. How do you empower them to make good financial decisions? So I initially started a nonprofit organization named Commerce Plaza. It's a place where fifth graders, it's open to all school districts on Long Island. And it's a place where fifth graders can come and run a mock business for the day. It's really an exciting thing to see 11 year olds, you know, writing out checks and going over to their banker, depositing the money to their 11 year old friend. And then they go to the shop. McDonald's supplied lunch for us for 10 years in a row. And uh, Capital One gives us money uh, every year, or every other year. And it's, it's really an exciting thing. I also, because I'm a, an attorney and a CPA, I was the inaugural chair of the Financial Literacy Committee for the uh, New York State Society of CPAs Nassau chapter. But I said, you know what? This is all great and wonderful. And we came up with resources and family financial literacy fairs and everything was great and wonderful. But I said, who's teaching the little ones? You know, three to six, three to seven. So we came up with Walter the Vault. And I could show you a cute little stuffed animal. For those who are on the radio, you don't get to see it. And uh, I'm Walter, the, he has words of wisdom. I'm Walter the Vault, I'm friendly and nice. I'm filled up with rhymes and financial advice. Oh. He also has a book that goes with this. And I'll give you another rhyme. Save your nickels, save your dimes, listen well to all my rhymes. And if you do, it's me you'll thank for all the money in your bank. Now, when my grandson, who's now a year old, was born, people gave us porcelain piggy banks. That's the standard gift. I yeah. said, you know what? He's going to knock that over and it's going to be falling into a thousand pieces. So we came up with a plush and it actually sings the words of wisdom. So his name is Walter Vault. So these songs are on our website, waltofthevault.com. And we have a lot of posters and games for the kids. We have this game called Raining Change where money falls out of the sky and they it. have to collect the money. And we have a lot of free things, coloring books where the pencils come up and you could color in the thing right there. Um, most of it's free, but we also have books. And then, of course, we have waltofthevault.com, as I said, where uh, you could go and, and, and do all these fun things. We've been on uh, TV and radio before. We've done family financial literacy fairs at the library. We've been to the Children's Museum, uh, the Long Island Children's Museum, and the kids really love it. And what we see is that parents don't feel comfortable teaching kids about money. And the schools aren't really doing it either. Really, uh, you've got a lot of different products and it's very creative. So how did you go about developing these programs? What is your strategic plan? That's a really good question. So we need someone like Larry Namer to get us like a, a TV show, almost like a Sesame Street or a Barney, where we have a costume of Walter the Vault and he dances around and we see that kids love him whether he's singing songs or playing games or even just throwing around a ball or putting money in a bank. Well, right now we're doing everything online. So we have books, 
We have curriculum. We have a, a section for teachers if they want to buy the curriculum. We have a place for parents to learn about how to teach kids about money. And what we see is this conversation should really start when you are out and about with your children. So they understand that you need money to buy something and they have to make choices. And that if they spend their money, it's gone. You know, I do think your idea is fantastic and people should know about it. And it is very visual. I think YouTube is a fantastic idea for starting out. What do you think about starting on YouTube, Larry? Well, that's good. And, you know, I think um, you could come up with little things that kind of show your concept. I find the hardest thing to do with people, you know, particularly people who are the business side in the media and entertainment is as soon as you start off with the sentence, well, just imagine, that's it. You've lost them because they can't imagine. When you're pitching something that's going to be in a visual medium, you have to have visual presentation because typically they can't relate to what you're doing. So you show them how cute the characters are and how they can move. And then it's easier for them to say, okay, if we poured some money in here and we brought in professional animators and stuff, we, we can see where this can go. But you, you really need to do that. You got to get started and you got to do, you know, it's, it's like in a business, no proof of concept. You know, so many companies are presented with so many ideas, right? What could uh, Karen do to maybe help her stand out or make it more attractive versus the competition? Well, I, I think young folks are very, very interested in causes and environment and stuff like that. And it's the relationship of the brand to these good causes, which actually influences a lot of the purchase decisions. So I would find a sponsor, a company, and because what she's doing is a noble purpose. I mean, you know, particularly, you know, not just, you know, kids in the suburbs, but kids in inner cities need this kind of education desperately. And, you know, to really come up with a program that service those things, which is highly visible, uh, you can show that you got an audience. You can show that it's multicultural, multi-denominational. You know, it, it appeals to everybody who's got a kid needs to have their kid begin to understand those. So you can you could really begin to prove out the broad range of interest in the subject matter. I, I would look for a sponsor that could help offset some of the costs. I love it. Thank you. So my goal would really be that every single night when the kids uh, brush their teeth and read a book with their parents, that they say, oh, mommy, daddy, do you have any change? And then put them in Walter. Okay. You know, that we have a, a slot on the top and you can save his money. It sounds like you need to animate or videotape that. <laughs> right? I like that. Karen, where can people find out more yes. about your project? So you could go to waltertheVault.com to learn more about Walter. And if you want uh, help with the tax matter, you can go to litaxattorney.com. And again, I'm Karen Tenenbaum. Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show on WOR 710, The Voice of New York, with our special guest, Larry Namer, the inventor of the E! Entertainment Network. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. 
Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And wow, it has been a great show so far, and it's going to be even greater. I don't know, or as great going on. If you missed it, go to our podcast tomorrow on iHeartMedia, Passage to Profit, The Inventor's Show. But now I am very pleased to introduce Karen Ann Jacks. She has a solution for a problem. Is your hair two different colors and you don't want it to be like that? <laughs> you need to go to Karen's website. So welcome, Karen Ann. You know, I've been a hairdresser for a long time. It's not just hair color, but it's hair color for home use. And um, what happened is as a hairdresser, many of my clients who couldn't visit me because of time or money in the salon said, hey, can you help a girl out? I hate the box hair color and I want some of that good stuff you have in the back. And I thought, God, I wish I could, but salon hair color just isn't designed for home use. And I thought, how can I solve this issue, right? And I mean, that's part of what entrepreneurs do. We solve problems. And I thought, okay, first of all, I need to find a hair color manufacturer that would make it for me to sell for home use. And the answer that I have in solving is the cream hair color comes in tiny tubes, which I now have small tubes and creamy hair color versus the liquid hair color that you get in box. The other solution was we customized the developer and we customized the application. Okay, so we solve all these issues. Now we needed to find the consumers who color their hair at home coming into salons. So the next phase is that we partner with hairdressers working hairdressers that are in the salons and we send the DIY consumer into their salon or online and we do the consultations. Every first order requires a consultation. I, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, you picking your color. I need to pick it and choose it and make sure it's customized with all the different elements. It's not just a brown. It's a brown with a little bit of red. It's a brown with a little bit of blue needed. Exactly what you need with your right developer customize for what you need. That's very important. We hand make every order and then we ship it to the customer. And every time the customer reorders online, the hairdresser who did the initial consultation earns a residual income. So what I love about this is that we're helping the consumers who upgrade from box hair color. And then we're helping the hairdresser capture 75% of the market who color their hair at home. So when you buy box hair color, you, the consumer, you go in and you, you're picking the color on that box. Now, just because that's the color on the box doesn't mean that's the color you're going to have. Oh. Because your own natural hair color helps to determine what the end result, that's part of the magic. The majority of my business is online. So they go online and they book an appointment with one of our hair heroes. And so, but the second element to box hair color versus salon hair color, it's not just choosing the right hair color, but it's the quality of hair color. It's kind of like a box wine versus Italian wine. We want Italian pigment and that's where my hair color is manufactured is in Italy. When we custom every developer and color, we customize your developer and hand make it so it's not harsh. Well, it is a new concept in that you've mm -hmm. paired it with the right. hair salon so that people know exactly what to do. That is very new. There's three big elements to it. One was finding a manufacturer that made salon hair color talk to me out yeah. of Italy. That took me really a couple of years to find the manufacturer that would work with me. Once I had that, and we, we agreed on the first order and we could customize it exactly how we needed it. That was the first one. Second one was getting the website up. 
Yes, I'm one of those that spent too much money on a website that was a beautiful brochure, but did nothing. I've learned a lot about that, how to make it. And we just kind of keep adding to it and find the right website developer, not just the designer for the back end. And then the third element, and this was the biggest, and that is hairdressers. Most hairdressers hate home hair color because they believe they lose their salon business to it. But what I want to share with you is the people who color their hair in the salon don't want to color their hair at home if they don't have to. They'll do it sometimes, but they don't want to. Okay, now that we can get rid of that fear, what if we kept our 25% staying in the salon and then we go after the other 75% of $30 billion a year that we hairdressers never got to get before? I have a hard time relating to anything having to do with hair. My barber, um, I, I think I saw him last maybe 40 years ago. Um, <laughs> you know, the hardest thing to do is get people to adapt new habits and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, I think clearly, you know, the people from the salons is key to this. I help you feel good about coloring your hair at home. First, you go online and you fill out our color questionnaire. I tell you what, one of the first things we do is we analyze that to determine if home hair color is right for you. Because if it isn't, we're not going to sell it to you. If you want to go more than two levels of lift or do an intricate balayage, we go, no, you need to go to a salon. So you fill out the questionnaire and then I partner you with a hair hero. If not, it'll be just, you know, another hair hero online. And within 24 hours, we do a FaceTime Skype and we talk to you for about 10 minutes at the most. And we analyze your hair. We make sure it's exactly the shade you think it is and that you're going to get exactly what you want. And then we ship it to you. Once you receive the color, then you can contact your hair hero to go with you through the application at that time. So where can people find out and how can they reach you for your products? Well, it's DelaricaHaircolor.com. It's two L's and two R's because I thought it looked like fun. D-E-L-L-A-R-I-C-C-A HairColor.com. Great, Karen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And this is Passage Profit. We'll be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent trademark and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest is Ming Larry Namer, founder of E-Entertainment Network and involved in many other companies. With us right now is Todd Barrett. So we've gone from one hair product to a product that eliminates hair. Todd, you're the expert on getting rid of it. Tell us about your company. So One Blade is a company that is all about shaving. 
We're very focused at this point on men's shaving. And uh, I've been around product development and the consumer product segment for my whole career. And I find it interesting if I look back how many times we worked on programs where we had a solution that wasn't necessarily well matched up to a real genuine problem. And OneBlade was definitely all about, from the very beginning, it was about solving a problem. And that was being able to deliver to, again, men, at least initially here, a barbershop quality shave. What I mean by that, most guys actually haven't gotten a shave in a barbershop. What I mean by that is there's about 15% of the men in the marketplace worldwide that have skin issues due to shaving. They get irritation at the very least, or they have ingrown hairs. Um, But every time they shave, it's a bad experience. And what happens with a really good barber and a great barber shop is you can get a very, very close shave. It's a very relaxing experience. And most importantly, by using a single edge, you get a great skin outcome. Basically, you don't get the irritation. So that's what we're all about. We're about helping men ultimately feel great about themselves because they've gotten a great experience shaving. What Schick and Gillette have done starting back in the mid-60s is basically to a really good effect in a lot of ways, they've dumbed down shaving. And so you can hand a a cartridge, a multi-bladed cartridge shaver to a 16-year-old and say, hey, go use this thing. And they're not going to end up in the hospital with, uh, you know, cuts all over their face. So that sounds a little on the extreme side, but well, <laughs> I mean, that's you know, the reality is, is if you don't practice dramatically with a straight razor that the barbers typically use, you're going to have blood on your face somewhere. Right. Um, it's it's just a very hard tool to use and to get to be really, you know, proficient with. And so the big difference is that our razor takes and basically makes it relatively easy to cut the hair off your face versus what's happening with a cartridge. Any type of Gillette or Schick product is a multi-bladed cartridge, a plastic head. It has Teflon strips above and below the blades. Basically, though, what's happening is you're scraping the hair off your face wherever you're shaving. So what we wanted to do was be able to get that outcome of actually cutting the hair carefully off the face and make that as easy as it is to do with the cartridge razor. So that's what one blade ultimately is all about. But we we're constantly working on how do we make that experience in the morning a really pleasant experience. Most guys look at it as a chore. And like I said, a lot of guys have problems with their skin afterwards. So that's a really a negative outcome for them. We have a lot of younger guys in the office who just seem to like give up on shaving, which is my era. Uh, And I use everything. I think today I used like one of these disposable razors and just kind of scraped away. I have the standard razor. I've never had a barbershop shave though. So it sounds like an interesting concept. I hate the idea of shaving. So I went on your website and looked at the razor. It did remind me of the straight blades. Like I watch old Westerns and that's where they're doing this. But it did remind me of that only it wasn't nearly as scary. Like those straight blades, you see, like you think of somebody slashing your throat. <laughs> what if the barber makes a mistake and cuts my jugular <laughs> right. or something? So how, yeah. how are you getting the word out? Like I have the non-scary solution to getting a barbershop shave. We are using tools like Facebook and Google 
of course, we're, we're hoping to get the word out in every other way, typically that you might use as a marketer, but we really do spend a lot with Facebook and Google. And then we use influencers quite regularly. It's such an entrenched habit, how men shave, you know, the men we're talking to are typically probably over 25. So many of the guys we're talking to have done the same thing for probably 10 years. And so the reason they're interested that we find sometimes it's, it's funny things, right? Some guys are just like, well, I like the idea of being more friendly to the environment, right? So now you've got a product that you're not throwing away something that doesn't recycle. Our blades are stainless steel. It's just steel and it's totally recyclable. So you've got guys that'll come in for that reason. Some guys will come in and realize, Hey, it's, it's more cost-effective actually to use your razor. Yeah, I have to buy the razor initially, but the blades are over time really are ultimately less expensive. People stay with what they started with. So if you started with Gillette, you tend to be a Gillette person. With this, it would be very interesting to see not just getting the product into a TV show, but getting the story into a TV show. Media does tremendous things to get the word out. Todd, how can people find uh, out about you and your razor company? i by the way, I would really recommend listeners and viewers to go to Todd's website. It's very nicely designed product yeah. and uh, the video on the front page is very explanatory, really puts the product in a great light. But how can people get a hold of your razor? Yeah, thanks, Richard. It's onebladeshave.com. That's great. So thanks, everybody, for staying with us. We'll be back with a wrap up right after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. If you are just tuning in, then you need to go to our podcast tomorrow and it will also be on our YouTube channel, Passage to Profit, the inventor show on YouTube. You can see what everybody looks like. You can see their backgrounds and on our social media, you'll be able to see pictures of people's products. But our guest today was Larry Namer, who founded the E-Entertainment Network and he doesn't let the grass grow under his feet. So he's got a couple more things going on. So if you want to find out more about him, just Google him. Or if you want to see really what he's involved in now, you can email him at lnamer, just like it sounds, at famvestor.com. Or you can go to a website, ljnmedia.com. And Larry will give his two cents worth at the end about how we thought the show went, et cetera. Then we had three presenters. So Karen Tenenbaum, Esquire, founder of Tenenbaum Law, she's a tax attorney has Walter the Vault, which teaches your kids how to handle money and save it and spend it. And you can find that at WalterTheVault.com. We had Karen Ann Jacks, who has Italian blended home health hair color 
that you work with a salon to get the right color and everything for your hair. It's very unique to this industry. And I've learned more about hair coloring today than I ever knew. So you can find her at Delarica Hair Color, D-E-L-L-A-R-I-C-C-A, haircolor.com. And really, it'll give you the home hair color look that you would have coming from a salon, which is really, really hard to get, I know, from personal experience. Finally, we had Todd Barrett, One Blade Shave, at onebladeshave.com. So if you've ever seen on movies and stuff, the people sitting in the, the barber shops and the guy putting the stuff on their face and taking that long, scary looking blade and shaving it off their face. I'm going to try it. Anything that can improve my shaving experience, like 5% right. is worth so, a lot of money. So. so you can do that with his shaver, only it's not nearly as scary. You can do it yourself at home. And it really is good for men with sensitive skin and people that want a really good shave. And then of course we had Richard Gearhart, patent attorney extraordinaire. And Intellectual property too. Yes. Trademarks and copyrights. Exactly. You should know. <laughs> <laughs> By this time you think, and litigation. And of course, Kenya Gibson, Gibson with the P, who is our media maven for iHeart. And you can find her at Kenya Gibson at iHeartMedia.com. And iHeartMedia is the clue because they do digital advertising. They have radio stations all over the country. Their app goes all over the world. So if you want to advertise on radio, she is the person you should talk to. Absolutely. They have a great team and we've been using them for years. They're fantastic. So you have a, the Passage to Profit endorsement. Again, it's interesting, you know, how the world is, you know, it's a small world and how everything interconnects. So, you know, I mean, with iHeart, though, the newest thing I'm doing is called Fanvestor where fans can invest in the projects of their, their heroes. And we're actually testing it in Los Angeles with iHeart, working with Ryan Seacrest, is working with the Jonas Brothers and raising money for COVID relief. But we wanted to make sure the platform worked. And, you know, who better to do it with than iHeart because they can get the word out and they had the connection to some of the big rock groups and stuff. And we do it all for charity just to make sure it worked. And so, yeah, we have... Um, a lot of connections into that world. It comes full circle now. So uh, we'd yeah. like to thank our producer, Noah. Oh, yeah. So we used to do this in the studio in Manhattan. And Noah would be behind the glass doing the mixing board and running out and telling us that we needed to sound better. <laughs> and now the poor guy has to take what we give him recorded on a laptop through Zoom and make it worthy of iHeartRadio. <laughs> Uh, so that's it for us tonight, everyone. And it's been a fantastic show. We love our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. <laughs>